Whenever you're ready. Welcome back to another edition of the Hooper's Almanac. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Mitch's Boston Celtics and whether or not they are the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Alternatively, we're going to be looking to the Western Conference as well and talking about my favorite team, the Denver Nuggets. I've been one of the most pessimistic people throughout this podcast on the Nuggets, so Mitch is going to try to talk some sense into me and and tell me why they're still a contender. Um, a, a team I do believe in, though, out West is the New Orleans Pelicans. We're going to discuss whether or not we think they are for real. And last but not least, we issue an apology to Anthony Davis, a man who we have criticized at length on this podcast. Um, Mitch has called him day-to-day Davis multiple times. Um, and yeah, so we apologize, Anthony Davis. More content to come. Um, looking forward to today's episode. Before we get going, let's bring in our friends from Green Top. We are back another edition of the Hoopers Almanac. Mitch, you're Boston Celtics with the number one team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the Bucks right now are in a tight one with the Houston Rockets. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Uh, it's <laughs> weird, weird game for the Bucks. So possibly the Celtics are inching even farther away from them uh, from that first place. Currently one game up, 21 and six. This is a team that came into the season with the highest projected over under win total. I took their under um, and wow. I'm, I'm hating that right now. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing? And uh, what do you think about your Boston Celtics so far this year? I'm doing well. Um, I am running on three hours of sleep right now. Um, if anyone kept up with me on Instagram, I have took the Midwest road trip of a, for Mitchell cell um, from Kansas city to St. Louis, back to St. Louis to Chicago to see Aaron for a dinner, then up to Wisconsin for a wedding. And then I'm back, uh, got back to St. Louis. This I left Wisconsin at 5 a.m. this morning. So it's been a long day. But about my Celtics, I'm all right. I'm a little – I'm not as worried about last night's loss to the Warriors as everyone else in the media is slipping out. I will say this. Was it a bad Jason Tatum game? Yes. But outside of that, Jason Tatum this year has been an MVP frontrunner. Uh, one of the top, I mean, one of the guys in the NBA, uh, this team has been historically one of the best offenses in NBA history and is still number one offense, even after last night in the NBA right now, they also started poorly defensively, but they've now moved up into the top 15 defensively and defensive rating so far this year. That's also, and everyone who has done a podcast in the past two weeks has to remind everyone, this is without one, their a top four guy on their team and yeah. Robert Williams, who is projected to be back sometime next week, whether it be Monday, whether it be some uh, uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, one of those two nights against the LA teams, it's going to happen sometime this week. It, he, and I am so ecstatic because he's going to be back for Christmas day. And it's going to be a great early Christmas gift for me. Um, this team is so fun to watch. Aaron, do you remember last year when we were talking about the Boston Celtics around mm-hmm. this time and how bad they were to watch? Yeah, like it was it was miserable, and I'm a Celtics fan, and it was terrible, and I I had to turn games off. I, it hurts to turn games off now for me because of how hard it is just to watch. I mean, how it's not it's hard for me to just 
not want to watch Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum cook guys. It's also fun for this team just to keep moving. They have great offense as in general, and it's not as stagnant as it was as early part of last year. I love with how this team looks. Yes, lost the Warriors last night. Warriors are, are actually playing well recently, if anyone's been watching them anytime soon. So they've actually been doing well. They're also monsters at home. So you can't really take – I'm not going to discount that at all. So here's what I'll say. I'm excited where the Celtics are. I I think there will be a little bit of a learning curve whenever Robert Williams comes back, kind of getting him integrated in this offense again. But if I don't have to see any – if I don't have to see as many Luke Cornette minutes, uh, my heart will be very happy. Although, <laughs> he's been doing all right. I don't mind having a seven-footer out there. But even still – I am excited to have my boy Rob Williams back, but I am ecstatic about the Celtics team. I love for Luke Cornett contesting a shot when he's standing underneath the rim and the guys at the three point line and he decides just to jump straight up. Right. Have you seen some of those videos? It's just like hilarious. Dude, I, I mean, it's it's and you know what? To those who don't think it works, you're wrong. Because think about it. He just jumps <laughs> up and it's and when it, so it just tactic, looks so silly. It looks oh, so it looks silly. so silly. His tactic is perfect. You know, if you jump early use enough, your, yeah, use your height, right? Yeah, early enough, not? and you're gonna, but also you're gonna get in the way of the rim, so that way the guy can't even see where he's shooting. Now you know it's you true. can have just some general directionness and see. Okay, if he's jumping there, I'm just gonna shoot for his hands. But you know, I think the numbers are there uh, and how inefficient shots are. Whatever he does, the cornet contest uh, is what yep. Brian Scalabrini <laughs> calls it, which I love. But I. I uh, I think this it, it's gonna be sad when he's gone, but I hope Rob Williams you know picks it up and takes over whenever uh, when that, whenever he's out. Whenever yeah, out. no, I mean the fact that they are where they are with everything that happened in the off season. You have a brand new first time head coach. Uh, you don't yeah. have your star center, who's a defensive player of the year caliber center, who completely right. changes the game on that end of the floor. Right. Um, and at the same time, you don't have depth at that position. And you've been having to f- play guys that have never played before. You lost your big one of your big offseason signings for the whole season in Danilo Gallinari. You've had to have another role guy in Sam Hauser basically take his position. And honestly, you know, I was very reluctant to believe in Sam Hauser at the beginning of the year. And, you know, we haven't seen him, we didn't see him play. So right. I was fine being where I am now. But he's basically doing what Gallinari would have done at this point. He gives you even maybe a bit more mobility on the defensive end of the floor. Now, Something you were questioning very early on, but so right, was I. <laughs> right, with Gallo. Like, that's that's his biggest thing is he's a defensive liability at this point right. in his career. But, I mean, Gallo would be averaging more than 6.9 points per game. He'd be playing more minutes. But in terms of just being a pure floor spacer, like, mm-hmm. the Celtics don't need a guy who's going to average 15 really right now. Mm-hmm. Um but you will take the 15 he gives you on any given night. Right. So, I mean, that has been a revelation for me. It's hard to tell. I have some, you know, Mitch, we were texting about this. And I think we've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but our dichotomy of being the head and me being the very analytical thinker, statistically driven person uh, versus you being the heart. And yes. you are this emotional yes. gut thinker that really strives to just, you know, believe what your eyes are telling you um, where I more so dig into the analytics of things. Yeah. Um, And I don't want to get too far into the statistics before we do hit on something that relies on the heart. And I think is that is just, what has the impact been of Missoula at this point? Like, what have you seen Mm -hmm. from him as a head coach? I think, you know, it's very hard in the NBA, I think to sometimes tell 
the you know tie performance to the players versus the coach. Um, sometimes I think we overrate um, coaches yeah. across different sports, not even just the NBA. I think we give too much credit and also too much blame to them at times. Um, but I guess just from your perspective, because I don't think there's a way to statistically break that down yet. Right. How have you viewed Missoula as a, as a first year head coach so far? So I don't want to give all the credit to him yet. I want to say this. What we had with Udoka last year was incredible. And I think some of that is still carrying over. I think the the offensive things that we saw like that back half of the year have gotten amplified, though. I think this year's mm. offense has been amplified from what Missoula has done um, in the three months he's been announced as head coach. Uh, the three and a half months he's been head coach for the Boston Celtics. Um, the defense, like last year, struggled early on. And that's what it started mm-hmm. as last year. And it's starting to pick up here more recently. And that's one thing that I think whenever you have new guys being integrated in it, whether it be Griffin, how I mean, Blake Griffin playing every other, I mean, every other week, uh, whenever Al Horford's on a, on a back-to-back night or whenever he's got COVID right now, um, you got Sam Hauser who's learning the defense again, Brogdon, who's kind of getting integrated to everything. You got guys who are still learning everything, which is tough, but once they get smart basketball minds who are doing it, it makes it a lot easier. And so, I don't want to say – I don't want to down like trodden what Missoula has probably impacted, but I do think that there is still some carryover from last year. But mm-hmm. I think that it's only been amplified, whether it be a year two thing, but also with whatever he's doing. Um, yeah. You know, Scal Brini talks about on the on the broadcast all the time, just the energy that Missoula brings – is so it's it's different than what Udoka brought. Udoka was a lot more even keel, uh, but he still found a way to motivate guys in that kind of way. Missoula apparently is very high energy guy, uh, but he still looks even keel. Mm. Uh, like whenever he's doing interviews or anything like that, but apparently is high energy with the guys in practice and even in like the locker rooms and everything, which is great. That's what I need. That's what this team needs. They need a guy not only just high energy, like giving them like the the like whenever it comes to telling them what they did wrong, but it's also like in right. teaching moments. And so I think they needed a guy like this, the the guy who's still going to give it to him, put it, put it down, put them down when they needed to, like, like Yudoka did, but they needed someone who was going to be able to get the most out of them. And I think so far we've seen, like I said, last year's get amplified, uh, production even get amplified so far. Yeah. And I mean, with player performances, you know, how much, is right. that on Jason Tatum working his ass in the offseason after True. seeing everything on social media? Same with Jalen Brown and the turnovers. Like you could keep going on that. But I think just the fact that they are where they are, they've avoided the easy out of all this shit happened to us with Adoka. And there was an easy excuse for you to slump coming out of the year. And that's been avoided. And something with the locker room, it appears like they're, you know, they're definitely excelling. I mean, they're the best right. team right now in the NBA. So at the very least, like that is credit to him in terms of the players itself. I mean, I think this team, I'm hesitant to say they are the team, to the team to beat, but I think they are right now one of two teams that I think are the the very heavy favorite. The two the teams other, in the East. The other being Milwaukee. Right. Um. Now you have two top 12 scorers. Jason Tatum, as you said, is playing at MVP level and back to the, like the work he put in in the offseason and what we saw of him in the finals 
and even throughout the playoff run, he's fixed a lot of those minor holes in his game. Now, he was already playing at a damn near MVP level, certainly a great all-star level last year. Right. Look statistically. But this year, for example, finishing at the rim, that was his biggest, biggest weakness that we saw put on stage in the uh, in the finals. Yeah. And throughout the playoffs. This year, he's shooting 76% field goal in the paint. He's averaging 3.3 touches per game in the paint. Last yeah. year, he shot 61% field goal. That's 15 mm-hmm. percentage points higher. That's huge. And he had only 2.2 touches per, per game in the paint. So we're already seeing him getting a lot more comfortable. I mean, he always looks pretty ripped, but probably got stronger. I think it's generally more of a comfortability and a confidence thing. We don't yeah. know how much of it is injuries in the postseason. We're impacting that, but... Generally, he looks awesome when it comes to that. Jalen Brown filling in his weakness. Um, I think still kind of a turnover-heavy player. Yes. But in terms of a scorer, he's just been awesome and even more efficient. Like, free throws has been the biggest thing that stood out to me. Um, Nearly 10% percentage points higher from the free throw line compared to last year. And he's taking more attempts. Um, So, like, those two guys playing at the level they are and going up you have all the experience from the previous Eastern conference trips. You have last year's experience from the finals. I mean, this team, you just, we don't know their ceiling. Like we've already seen them excel at such a young age. And the fact that they're continuing to get better and continuing to get better um, is pretty remarkable. And they aren't even at full strength yet. So that's my thing. Undoubtedly. Yeah. No, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think the fact that they missed, they're missing, we everyone can talk about how I get it. Chris Milton being the second best player on that Bucks team for the past like for however long, missing him is incredible. Absolutely, the yeah. Celtics have been doing it as well with Rob Williams. You can talk all you want about Bucks missing Chris Milton. The Celtics have been missing their defensive anchor since since like April last year. They had like eighty yeah. percent of them during the playoffs, and so I think when he comes back. I, I don't know what I'm going to expect from him, but I from him personally. But as a team, this team's defense is going to get incredible once again. Just like you throw mm-hmm. him on the one non-shooter on in any lineup, and he's just going to roam the paint and swat anything into the fifth row, and it makes me so happy. Yeah, I mean, I look at the Celtics right now, and the things I've been harping on all offseason were size, right, and and the deficiency in size, and specifically the backups that they just purely did not get. I mean, they're relying on Blake Griffin, Luke Cornette to back you up right now with Horford, who's been healthy, but they're resting him because he's older. Right. Um, and and, that ha- makes and he's been sick recently, too. OK, sure. So he's been sick. But with Rob Williams coming back, you're able to probably mitigate those issues like the Celtics Absolutely. right now are 21st in rebounding rate and 12th in defi- defensive efficiency after being number one last year. Rob Williams is the guy that can drastically change those numbers. Um, He just completely changes what you're able to do defensively. He's one of the few guys that can actually like successfully play a ball screen as a big man. Like he's just got so much variability off ball on ball, et cetera. So like that is awesome. And I think offensively it gives you another lob option for um, Tatum Brown, whoever wants their driver too. smart and Rob have this incredible, have an incredible pick and roll, like lob move they go with. Um, And that was another thing. I was talking with our buddies Austin and Adam, and they were texting me like, what do you think of the Celtics offense whenever Rob comes back? And I I straight up told them, I'm like, there will be a week or two of learning. And the Celtics won't won't be taking as many threes, 
But what it does is it gives us an actual like lob option. Like yeah. we haven't, we don't have that with Al Horford. We have it lo- a little bit with Luke Cornett only because he has to get five inches off the ground and then we're fine. But like with Rob Williams, we have a, a, a legitimate vertical uh, threat to teams. And so, you know, I, I think, yes, you'll lose some shooting with it, but I still think what you get back doesn't matter. I think you're going to get a lot more in return than what you're going to be losing. So I think the yes. energy, the poise that you're going to get from him, it's 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 really incredible. And right now, that's the strength of the team is the offense. So even if that shags a bit and the weakness gets so much you know, more resolved on the defensive side of the floor, that's definitely worth it. I mean, right now, Boston is the number one offensive team in the league. If they drop to third, who gives a shit? If they jump their defense back to what it was last year and you're top five in both categories, then you're a lot better off. Right now, number one in offensive efficiency, most points per game, number one in three-point percentage, number one in free throw percentage. I mean, everybody's making their shots. Everybody's moving well. I mean, it is crazy to watch. Um, my you're not team losing is... free throws with – you're not even losing free throws with Rob. But anyway, sorry. Right. No, yeah. I mean, like my team is great offensively, but we just – the defense worries have always been there, and they continue yeah. to be there. And we don't have a Rob Williams who's waiting in the wings to come solve all, their, all, all of our issues. So you're sitting pretty right now, man. It's It's a nice place to be as a Celtics fan. And you know what? I and you know what's great? We still have Peyton Pritchard still just sitting there on the bench whenever <laughs> one of one of our, our injury prone guards decides to go down once again. So it's it's nice to have that whenever we need it. But um do you, do you have do. anything else for this? Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna rephrase uh, you know, rephrase the question. Like, do you think the Celtics are the team to beat then after everything we talked about about their performance? Basically, it's just like them or Milwaukee, I think, is the question. Like, do you think they are the team to beat out of those two? Listen, I that's the thing everyone's w- waiting for Christmas for. That, that will be the first time they've played against the Bucks this year. And teams will be up. Both teams will hopefully, if Milton's uh, ro- rolled ankle today against the Rockets isn't as bad, we'll hopefully have two full te- teams at full strength. And so that's mm-hmm. what I'm excited about because that's going to be the one that we kind of get to tell on because yeah. – we're going to come back from that weekend and I am, I'm looking forward to seeing how we look as a team by that point. There'll be a, a week of Rob Williams being back. It'll be fun. So I'm, I'm excited, but I, to answer your question, you know how pessimistic I am as a Celtics fan too. Like it, it, it can get like some down dirty spots and it hurts yeah. when, when, even when the Celtics are good right now, I think there, I, I want to wait. I want to wait till after that game in Christmas. I, 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 I still, right now, I still the Bucks is my 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 NBA Finals pick. Bucks are still yeah. my pick to make the NBA Finals, and so, I if I even have that as my pick, I don't think I can even put the Celtics there. I still think one of those two teams win it this year, but yep. I think right now it's the Bucks for me, and and it's because I want to wait to see what the finished product is of whenever Rob comes back. And that's fair, and I think that matchup will be telling, but. Right now, I see them as pretty even teams, and the the one edge that I would give to the Bucks is they've done they've won it before, right? Um, but also, just Giannis is the single most dominant player in the NBA. You still haven't seen them at full form with Chris Middleton. I would say even as as valuable as Rob Williams Rob Williams is, like Chris Middleton is, I think a bit more valuable to the Bucks. Oh yeah, um, it's basically like if the Celtics were to lose, J- lose Jalen Brown. I mean, yeah. that would be. That would be huge for you guys in the offensive end. And Middleton does a lot more too. 
But the one thing that's scary about Milwaukee is their defense this year. Last year, we were really worried about that. This year, they're second in defensive efficiency. I think that's a lot due to Brooke Lopez finally being back full-time, leading the league in blocks. Yeah. Um, And they're finally defending the three. Like last year, we talked about them playing the Bulls in the first round, Mitch, how they allow the most three-point attempts per game. Right now, they're sixth, second best at defending the three. So, like, they're not only limiting attempts, but they're obviously contesting all of those attempts rather than just playing shell defense. So I think what they've done on the defensive end of the floor, and I think that's credit to Brooke, um, is really interesting. So I think once Boston becomes has more of an identity on the defensive end of the floor, we're going to be able to tell how those two teams might match up. The other thing is Milwaukee still is Pat Connaughton has been in and out, and you also yep. Joe Ingles hasn't played, and we probably won't have that for a while. So whenever we get that, like I said, Full and we might not have to have it at full strength. We didn't have it last year in the playoffs either. Uh, you talked about like, the three point, how Milwaukee was just gonna let everyone, uh, they weren't gonna let anyone beat him in the paint, they were gonna let everyone yeah. shoot threes. You saw Grant Williams hit eight on yep. them in the playoffs last year, so I think yep. they kind of learned maybe we don't just let random guys shoot threes on us after that game. But yep. you know, I, I think right now I have Milwaukee there too, and I think you're right. Chris Milton is well, I definitely know you're right. Chris Milton is definitely the of the. Uh, between him and Rob Williams, Chris Milton is definitely more important. So, but I think we'll see just the impact that both these guys have, um, especially after two two weeks to a month of just seeing how much they play together. But, um, yep. so I, I that's where I say I'm at. Um, for my NBA Finals Western Conference team, uh, that for my pick, the Denver Nuggets. The one that Aaron mm-hmm. is the biggest fan of, yet the most pessimistic about from anyone we've had on this podcast. <laughs> we need, you know, you know who we need to have on. We need to have your boy. Uh, why am I, um, David? Uh, David, we need to have Rothschild on just to get your yep. spirits back up for this team. Dear God, I know. Uh, yeah, or, but, or 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 Thornburg. He was just texting me. Uh, Jack Thornburg was just texting me. He's like, "Man, we look good. I think we're going to be title contenders." And I haven't responded yet because I'm like, man. I don't want to. I don't want to give you all this negative thoughts, but I appreciate the positive uh, sentiment I've been receiving. All right. So, can I be the heart here for a second for the Nuggets? Be the heart, man. That's what all you right, are. So, listen. That's my. That's this. This is why our our relationship works because of the, the yes. we have both those sides. So, you're right. The defense, massive worries. You got, and you're. You know what? That's okay. I'm gonna say this. What have we liked about Jamal recently? What have we liked about Jamal Murray recently? He's actually playing well. He's actually kind of yeah. being like Jamal Murray. He had that game winner against Portland this past week, which we, oh, wait, I know you loved. So I, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that they're getting better. Um, I'm also going to say this: you're you're getting more out of, and you're gonna you're seeing more more minutes out of him, getting more energy out of him, and that's that's kind of what you want. The Denver game was a little bit of a a little of a sad one for him when he went two of eleven, but you know we we let that go. Um, we also have seen a, I don't want to say more healthy version of Michael Porter Jr., but we've seen already more games out of Michael Porter Jr. than we have seen in a long time already this year. And I think the other guy who you love, and I have been very pessimistic about up until this year, Aaron Gordon has been very very, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 61% from the field is incredible. He's also not shooting as many threes. Uh, this year for the for the team, only around like two and a half threes a game. Um, if we could get his free throw above sixty five percent, that would also be great. But you know, That's we so we will, we will take what we can get from him. My point is this: I am very hopeful for what this team has done so far. If we can get the 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 two guys that I'm looking at this team, and I'm like, 
where where does the improvement need to come from? Um, for me, it's got to be. It starts with Bone Thailand. Uh, you're getting mm. enough points from him, but it's the efficiency for me. And he, uh, the fact that he's shooting under forty percent is not great. It's just under forty yeah. percent. But like, still, if he's my go-to guy off the bench, him and Bruce Brown. Although Bruce Brown's kind of started a few games here and there since Porter's been out, I I think you're gonna get. I think if you get more efficiency out of him. Your, mm-hmm. your team's going to be rocking and rolling. You don't have to worry about just random – you're going to have to worry about offensive boards from no one else if he's hitting like that. Um, The other thing I ask is if we can freaking get more than 10 minutes a game from Zeke Naji. Like, I <laughs> I, 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 yeah. need, I need the DeAndre Jordan minutes to stop yesterday. Like, yeah. today I, I was very um hopeful going into the game that I was not going to see any DeAndre Jordan minutes. I was very mad when I saw that he that he played any minutes and uh, and Zeke Naji played zero, but you know mm-hmm. what? It's fine. I will live and learn from that because again, it's, it was the you you guys beat Utah today only by five. But like, I would rather have seen Zeke Naji out there than DeAndre Jordan. Why are we Why are we sitting a guy you want to develop like Zeke Naji instead of and and playing old balls, dusty sperm, DeAndre <laughs> Jordan? And that's my favorite term for this man at this point. But yeah, still, it. It, it is very apparent that this team has an issue of trying out these new guys. You tried Bones, which is great. You got you brought Bruce Bowden to the building because he has been a solid guy for a bunch of teams so far. I worry why we haven't played Zeke Naji. And maybe you can offer more insight into that, why, why the Nuggets haven't done that. But uh-huh. I am hopeful because you brought up the Celtics numbers, how they're number one in three-point percentage and also free throw percentage. I yeah. love that. I worry how much they're going to drop as like the season goes on. But I also will say, I think that the, the percentages are going to go both ways. I think Denver's are only going to get better. And yeah. while Boston's are probably going to drop down here a bit, especially whenever you get a, a team that has been, that is consistently playing together. Whenever Porter comes back and is like fully healthy, if we ever get that, right. I, I say this, that is when you're going to be great on offense, and that's when you have an actual cohesive defense. I also like your guys' closing lineup, but it doesn't have MPJ, and you can do offense and defense with him and Bruce Brown. Like, if you yeah. guys can do offense and defense with him and Bruce Brown, you're in a great spot. Plus, Bruce Brown's not a bad three-point shooter. I mean, no, just not. And, and I'm not going to rely on him to do scoring down clutch, but I'm going to rely on him to be a spot-up shooter when I ever need it down in the clutch. So that's what Mari and Jokic are for, are to create the, create the shots down in the end. But I I think having Bruce Brown out there not a bad uh, not a bad option and so I I love that pickup for you guys now that I look back at it more. No, I mean I was I gave it an A plus when when you know during the off season when we talked about that and right. he is the perfect fit for Jokic and we've seen him sort of do what he did in Brooklyn like the point center vibe sometimes when Jokic is off the floor of creating shots in the paint. He's still an improved three-point shooter at 39% now. Like, that's really awesome to see, considering he came into league not being able to shoot. Um, you hit on a lot of things, and I think one way to summarize this is I'm Michael Malone is really, really frustrating to have as your head oh, coach. I, I um, didn't want to touch. I was going to let you hit on that only. I, I, I have seen enough of Mike Malone, but you're right. Go on. It's so frustrating, and I think part of me loves him because it seems like he has a great relationship with the guys. Um, he's been there for a while. Like we have had success, obviously Yoke, he's created this player, him, him and the staff have created this player who's now an MVP. Like 
and, and came out of nowhere. So that in itself is like your career achievement. But the personnel decisions with the bench has been so frustrating. I mean, now we're seeing guys like Bull Bull explode in Orlando who never got the chance, never got the chance. And this was just a Malone classic. And honestly, I might be this guy, too, if I were in his position, like the old crotchety guy who just like (laughs) really enjoys a guy who works hard like Christian Braun. And he's played immediately as a rookie. Like he played in his first game ever in the NBA. Um, he plays every single game. He gives us great effort. Like he's an awesome defensive player, but we don't see that with some of the more talented guys um, like Michael Porter Jr. Early in his career um, yeah. really got snubbed. Even when he was first going off in the bubble, we saw Bull Bull. Obviously now he's like Katie's praising him. Uh, like, and I think you see the same thing, not at the same level, but with Zeke Naji should be playing more minutes than Deandre Jordan. And it's Deandre Jordan's this vet who has great presence, great awareness, knows what he's doing, et cetera. And it's going to get the minutes with Mike Malone. Um, so I think all of that stems back to that. Also, when you come to like just general offensive strategy, some of this is due to Jokic and just running everything through him. And a lot of his shots are coming in the paint, but Denver is one of the best three point shooting teams in the league. Second and three point percentage. They're 26th and three point attempts. That's Boston. Miserable. Boston conversely is number one in efficiency and number two in attempts. So yes, when Rob Williams and personnel have an impact that those attempts will probably decrease, but it's still going to be in the top half of the fucking NBA. It's not going to be down by the San Antonio Spurs and whoever the hell else is at the bottom. Like (laughs) that's just a mathematical thing of today's NBA. You see bad teams overachieve like the Indiana Pacers and other teams who just commit to the three point shot because they have the shooters. Denver has the shooters and they don't shoot three pointers. It's boggling my mind. I think Murray improving as a shooter, Bruce Brown, KCP, Aaron Gordon's having the best three point shooting career uh season of his career. Really? And obviously when yeah, like uh, we cool. can get to AG more um in my love for him, but and MPJ as well, like a 40 plus percent three point shooter right. and you're shooting 26th three point attempts in the NBA. It's I think that and the personnel decisions, obviously the defense is a different issue, but generally all can be attributed to Michael Malone. Uh, You know, it's, it's just really, really frustrating. Okay. So I'll say this. I didn't know Aaron Gordon was shooting the best of his three. And you know what? It might be because he's shooting outside of his first two years in the NBA, the least amount of threes he's ever shot in a season. But you know, we, we let that slide for the, for the known fact of this. He has taken on a bigger role, on a more of a defensive role for this team. Now he's also been a great scorer for this team this year too, by shooting sixty-one percent whenever he does to put up a shot. But I love what you're saying. I do agree with you. Does anyone not know the analytics on the Denver Nuggets like staff? Does Does anyone not know the NBA has changed since since 2014? And this guy named Stephon Curry came into the league and like ruined right. everyone. Does he not remember when he, whenever the Nuggets got ripped in that playoffs in 2014 because of Curry? It, it's yeah. just like it's just it's hurtful to watch. And last year, I mean, like it's one thing if your personnel are terrible, but this year your personnel are great and you have no reason. And even with Jokic, like if he's drawing double teams, all the other guys should be around the three point line, except maybe an occasional back cut. Um, which the Nuggets do really, really well. But mm-hmm. pace and space, man, I think this team would be able to put up 125 points per game if they shot more threes. But 
Back to Aaron Gordon. I mean, yes, his volume has gone slightly down. It's kind of in the ballpark since he's been with Denver, though. True. Um, and he's actually shooting like more pull up threes. And he's just when you look at oh, when you watch hurts. the tape, like his confidence is there. And part of the reason is last year he was the second option to Jokic. And he was had so much defensive attention. He was asked to do so much off the dribble, which isn't him. But now, like, actually, he's able to do stuff off the dribble and he's able to catch and shoot contested threes, um, which has been a revelation. And generally, just his efficiency has skyrocketed. Don't know why he still can't shoot free throws when he's become a better overall shooter, um, as you said. That would be be the the biggest anomaly to me, how guys can shoot 23 footers and yet they stand at a line. Maybe it's because they're not jumping. Man, that 15 foot not jump, no jumper is, is, it hurts. And it's a mental thing too. Oh, I for bet. sure. But yeah, like, everyone's staring at you. But Gordon has been awesome. So at full strength, this team's really good. Defensively, they're 27th in defensive, defensive efficiency. I saw this stat the other day. One guy I really liked to follow his Nuggets, Nuggets reporter. They have, they're 27th in defensive efficiency but they're first in defensive clutch rating, which means that their defensive performance during the clutch times of the game, the last five minutes, I think, um, are the best in the NBA. But the other 43 minutes are 27th. Like, how does that happen? So I also saw someone that, like, I think it was someone, like, had replied in the tweets. If you even push it back to, like, eight last eight minutes of a game, I think it was, like, uh, they were, like, number three. So like it's even even if you push it back Lord. three more minutes, it's still like their top. So I don't know what the heck to tell you why why they can't do it for the first forty some minutes of a game. But you will take it because for the most part you're still winning these clutch games. Yeah, barely. I mean, we're in games with the Jazz and the Blazers and everybody. We're having it eke out wins with the back to back MVP and an awesome team around him. Like it's crazy. I think. Yeah. I mean, we have the most talented roster, I think, in the West right now. Uh, Ooh, that'd be a conversation to have. I, uh, it's up there. Uh, and the thing is, is we our defensive personnel is good. Like KCP's a really good defender. Uh, Bruce Brown's a really good defender. Aaron Agreed. Gordon's a really good defender. Has been um, one. You have issues with Michael Porter. Jokic has improved, but you still have some liabilities. Murray definitely off of an injury. You have some liabilities. But you have guys off the bench that can come fill in as well. It's not a personnel question. It's a coaching question. This is back to Mike Malone. It's also back to Ryan Saunders, who I've hit on multiple times on this podcast. Every Next time you watch a Nuggets game, Mitch, watch the conversations between Mike Malone and Ryan Saunders. It's hilarious. Like It seems like the guys listen to Ryan Saunders, but sometimes he gives me the guy who likes, is really smart and kind of panics in big situations. Oh, God. And sometimes Malone doesn't look like he's actually listening to him. Like it's a weird dynamic. I, I want you to watch it the next time you watch a Nuggets game. Because I will something's, on that. something's up there. And I think that's maybe part of it is sometimes their schemes are fucked up. Um, like we saw the Blazers when Anfrey and Simons had like seven or eight threes in a quarter. That was because Saunders flipped to zone out of nowhere um in that quarter, and all of a sudden Simons had like eight threes. So I think part of it is coaching. I, I think personnel-wise, we should be okay. So here's my only team that I'm going to say has a better has a better roster than you. And I'm going to go straight into our third team of the day, and it's the New Orleans Pelicans. Love it. That, that, that the, was my only thought. Yep. Yeah, the New Orleans Pelicans might have a better team than you. Now, they you do have Nicole Jokic. The next <laughs> three guys on the yeah. – uh, the next three best guys between your two teams are on the Pelicans. Like – Zion, William, uh, Zion, 
Zion Williamson, of course, Mitchell, thank you. Um, Brandon Ingram and CJ ah, CJ McCollum and, and Murray could fight it out for that that next spot. Like it's 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 a battle. There. Yeah, I think I think Murray in a couple weeks is going to be above that. But That's yeah, right, right now and they're pretty even. Yeah, I'd say right now they're pretty even, even because I think McCollum's been able to be able to go, be a good playmaker. His efficiency yeah. hasn't been great there, but we 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 move on because we're better people because of it. Um, my other thing is so for those who have not listened to this podcast for the entirety of this current NBA season, Aaron has a soft chub for the New Orleans Pelicans this year, um, and rightfully so at this point. Aaron, you what were the what what bets have you placed on the Pelicans this year? Uh, and how many times have you bet them? (laughs) Great question. Uh, I have them to win the division, which was plus 400 going into the year. Uh, they're neck and neck with the Grizzlies right now, but in a great position to, you know, at least have better value than plus 400. I have them to win the NBA finals at plus 3000. They're first in Western conference right now. Um, I have their overseason wins, which surely will cash. Um, I think that was in the low forties. They're at 692 winning percentage right now. So that's well on way to cash. I bet them in multiple individual games. I mean, they're so fun to watch. I think the market's finally catching up to them. Um, And, you know, as you said, I have a soft chub. It's becoming less soft, Mitch. I think that the Pelicans are becoming more real in my mind (laughs) and in the the minds of the NBA. They've won seven straight. They're first in the West. And they're just such a well-rounded team. Like you said, they they might be the most talented team in the Western Conference. And they do it on both ends. And they're super young. Um, Like the only thing that can derail this team in my mind is an injury. And they have some guys who have faced injuries in the past, knock on wood. But Zion, Brandon, Ingram, like one of those two guys going down would would certainly throw away their hopes at at competing for a title. But without that, I think they should be in the mix. Um, And I think they're certainly for real. Here, so here's my thing about the Pelicans. Do they have too many guys? Like, you know my thought process. Like, yeah. I, I I love looking at a at a team in the regular season. I love how deep you can be. Uh, that's mm-hmm. why I love the Celtics right now. Do the Pelicans have? To, but when it comes to the playoffs, you need to have eight or nine guys you can count on to come in and get a bucket. Um. Like, I and so I'm looking at the or, and also just play defense, and I'm looking at this team. You have your starting five of Ingram, Williams. Uh, you're gonna have McCollum, Ingram, Herb Jones, Williamson, Valanciunas. Right after that, you got you got Murphy, Alvarado, Nance, and you and then and a Marshall. You have then Dyson Daniels and Devontae Graham who have played so many minutes. I mean, Daniels has even started for them at points in the game. I mean, it points yeah, the season. He started today. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, and you also play Hernan Gomez way too many minutes. I feel like that could be a trade piece there. Um, yeah. And Jackson Hayes, who has kind of been working. I mean, he's been in and out of lineups. He's and and I still, I still think he has some value for anyone who would want him. I think there's malleability with this team. My thing is, are we? Do you think this is a team that could go get it, make a trade for some like a good piece, like for a, get a good bench piece here? Yeah, I mean, I think guys on the table for them, Devonte Graham. I think there's something to be said for like a a guy to have off the bench in the playoffs who can like just be kind of the hot hand. Seems similarly to like a poor man's Jordan Clarkson, 
now we're seeing like what Jordan Clarkson can become in the current jazz system. He's been playing great, but Devontae Graham could kind of be like that, um, poor, like Jordan Crawford, not Jamal Crawford, but Jordan Crawford kind of off the bench. Um, but I do think he's a tradable piece. I don't necessarily think you need him. He's a defensive liability. Dyson Daniels, he's got a lot of value, but I think they're going to hold on to him. And I think he's going to get more and more minutes. Willie Hernan Gomez, probably tradable. Um, but after that, like, I think you have your top five, obviously. Um, then Trey Murphy has proven himself as a great piece. Jose Alvarado has proven himself and Nance has proven himself. So there's like your top eight for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I would throw Daniels into that mix. Um, I think so, so too. So you would have nine guys and you could kind of mix Daniels and Alvarado depending on the matchup because both of them can run your offense a bit. So and are I, defensively. Think, I think once they get there, it's not going to be an issue. I think it's pretty clear who their top guys are. I think right now it's helpful to have the depth just given the long season. Um, but I do think to your point that, you know, maybe they do make a trade to just trim the fat a bit and maybe even, you know, get a great bench piece. Like could Jay Crowder help this team, for example, or somebody else who's just not seeing any minutes elsewhere. I, 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 I will stop the Jay Crowder talk because I think Jay Crowder is too much of a ball stopper when this team does not have any of that. So I'll shut that one down, but I do think this team could use, whether it be a stretch, uh, stretch four slash small ball fit of five, which they have in Larry Nance, but he's not much as much of a stretch four that that you have there. So maybe we try to figure something out there. Um, we maybe, will, yeah, that would yeah, be maybe we. Sorry. Oh no, yeah, I was just gonna say like along that line, like maybe just another three point shooter off the bench. Murphy's been great for them, over forty yeah, percent, six attempts. He's basically been starting too when Herb Jones has been out recently, um, and played very well. But um, you could use another just guy who can knock down threes off the bench. I'm going to – here's what we're going to do. I'm going to I'm gonna make a list of teams that are, quote-unquote, have too many guys or are one guy away, and I'm going to figure out trades for them. That will be something okay. I'm going to do. Uh, we're going to have a podcast uh, uh, post-Christmas and New Year's. That's That will be one – that will be my mission for the next few weeks to try to figure that out. So – you can listen to that later, but we'll, we'll come up with that list here in a bit too. Um, but I do think we both, I mean, I have now come to see what, what you foresaw in the beginning of this, before the season started very much of a, of a disbeliever po- mm-hmm. a, of a, uh, after two weeks. And then um, someone decided to shove a, a Pelican up my butt. And uh, <laughs> after that, I've, I have been talking Pelican out my ass. And so now I have, <laughs> Um, now become a believer. Um, I have seen the the error of my ways, and I think you uh, uh, somehow have the the foresight to know. And I think you have this the uh, the sight of a three eyed raven, uh, like they do in good uh, Game of Thrones. I'm the three eyed raven. Got I am a... Bran Stark. Uh, no, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, it's just the roster itself is something to ca- that catches your eyes, your third eye, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But the way that it's come together, I think, has been awesome. I mean, honestly, even maybe better than I predicted. Um, I did have them as a per, uh, team in my Russell class. And I think just right now, like, I, they're still my pick to come out of the West. I just, the Western Conference is so chaotic. And I, I would be, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if probably four or five teams were named the Western Conference champion you know, in May, I think right now you look at some of the teams that were seen to be as the title contenders coming out of the West, 
Phoenix. Weird, weird season. Your Boston not, Celtics just ran them out of the building. I think there's way too much weird going on right there that speaks to me as a not title contender, not to mention just their lack of depth, inability mm-hmm. to win on the road, all of that stuff that we saw last year. Golden State right now barely in the playoff picture. Yeah. Uh, it's been chaotic. And the biggest thing is their depth. Like young guys have not stepped up for them and they were totally reliant on that. Barring a trade um, and, you know, going on a run here, I'd be surprised if, if they jump up. Also, they've really struggled on the road, similar mm-hmm. to Phoenix. The Clippers, injury nope. uncertainty. Kawhi's finally playing, but like <laughs> so weird again. Uh, and then... Go ahead. No, I'll say it looks like 70, it, it's 70 percent of Kawhi Leonard. It doesn't look like normal yeah. Kawhi Leonard anymore. And I think we may have lost that, unfortunately. For, and that's what's sad. But anyways, defensively, especially um, yes. Denver, weird defensive stuff. Um, but I think they're kind of still in the mix right now. And then a team that I think is also kind of I see them similar to New Orleans is Memphis. And I was down on Memphis coming into the year, but yes, they're are. right behind them in the Western Conference. Um, and they're they're the team that's, you know, making me concerned about my Pelicans to win the division bet because they've been just as good. Um, I see them similar to New Orleans with a little bit worse depth. I think that's where New Orleans separates. Equally young, um, driven by a star and job ja versus Zion. I just think the Pelicans depth is way better. So I oh, think that's yeah. the difference. But those teams are really kind of neck and neck. So Generally, it's wide open in the West. Uh, I mean, I it's not like the East where you just have the Bucks and the Celtics and everybody else. I I do agree. We what we should again another thing we should do. What we will do is do like a re 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 tiering. I think that's what we failed to do last year. We should do yeah. a re tiering sometime midway through this year, um, and kind of see where we go with that. But because I also I think you're right. The Celtics and the Bucks are like the top teams, not only just in the East but in the NBA. And then I think there's a drop. And I think the Cavs are the only team from the East that fit in this drop alongside three of the teams in the West. And I think the Nuggets, the uh, Grizzlies, and the Pelicans all fit in that next tier. And yep. it's after that that there is a hodgepodge of random shit that I don't know what to call. And then we have play-in and then down crap. So we have yep. to figure out what that hodgepodge of weird shit is, and then we go, and then we're fine. But I... I do agree that this Western conference is very much open. It's very up for grabs. And so I'm excited to see um, what comes of that. Um, and in the hodgepodge of weird shit, speaking of taking victory laps is our Sacramento Kings. Cause they're the fifth seed right now, Mitch. And it's looking like they're going to make a playoff run. Light the beam, baby got their over wins as well. Feeling great about the Sacramento Kings right now. I, I would love to see them back in the playoffs. You know, this is the year of breaking uh, breaking long playoff streaks. Right. The Mariners finally making the playoffs. Um, it would be exciting. I think, you know, my years uh, as being a, a tertiary uh, Sacramento Kings fan, mm-hmm. um, I think they'll come to fruition here uh, this year. I'm mad. I'm mad at myself for not uh, placing that bet. But you know what? Um, I'll live. I'll make 36, it. The- 36 and a half, man. And they're they're at fourteen already, so we're looking good. You are five sixty win percentage, well above thirty six and a half. If they're on that pace, you are already a third of the way there. So um, that is that's great. Um, A team that is not in the play in even for the Western Conference, 
uh, as the Los Angeles Lakers. But we're not here to talk about them because uh, me and you can't talk about the Lakers without getting mad. Um, and this brings me to the next guy I don't want to talk about, but I know we kind of have to. Um, and there is a handwritten apology somewhere on this desk um, for <laughs> Anthony Davis. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just going to read a short little piece here. And I feel like I'm Jimmy Fallon. Uh, whenever he does his thank you cards to the people, yeah. I feel like he does that bit. Um, however, this is just going to be a, a short winded speech for uh, Anthony Davis. You need, you, you need some music behind this. Oh God. Like, I, whenever I edit like it, I might, I might be throwing some music behind this. We'll see. Um, yeah. Dear Anthony Davis, I'm sorry. You've actually played more games than you've missed to start the to start the season, and that's on me. For some reason, <laughs> that's on me. Um, I <laughs> God damn. Um, <laughs> you have returned to being a top ten player in the NBA, and that's on me. And I apologize. I apologize also for continuing to call you day to day Davis, and. T- <laughs> Until you play more than 52 games in a season, that nickname will still be be thrust upon you. But until but until then, you are day-to-day Davis to me and always will be. And I will appreciate that until my dying breath. I'm gonna stop laughing. Thank you for also being a defensive player of the year candidate. You're gonna ruin the fact that we're we were we're gonna try to have two wings slash guards win it back to back years, but no. You said, screw it, let's get another center to win it this year, and that's just going to ruin everything. I want to thank you for making this, the Lakers relevant. Relevant in the worst way possible because they're 11-15 and 15 and they're no fun to watch. It is truly a disaster to watch you try to run an offense as leading man. However, you still are a, a star talent and make this. you actually make the Lakers fun while everyone else around you is absolute shit. Thank you, and I apologize for everything I've said to you. Please play more than 52 games, and then day-to-day Davis will be removed. Mit- signed, Mitchell Sell. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Thank I'm you. sure I'm sure he would appreciate that apology. Yeah, I I, I think I think that'll be the video we post on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that was that was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, but in all reality. Anthony Davis is a top 10 player again. And it hurts me because I, it's crazy. I don't, I don't want to say it. The man has only missed five games. It's four games this year. Congrats. I'm proud of you to play 2020, 22 of your 26 games. And I, I will, I'll, I'll say 21 and 26. Cause he like played eight minutes of that Cavs game. And then, well, I was going to say also that was due to an illness. So it wasn't even like a bodily injury. Like that was kind of weird. So generally, internal. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Generally, like you wouldn't think, oh God, Anthony Davis is untrustworthy. Like, no, he just got sick. So I think that's yeah. a little different than like rolling your ankle, you know? Yeah, I will say this: the Lakers are still shut. I'm not even gonna. Oh I, no, I, yeah, for sure, they're, they're really bad. And like Anthony Davis and LeBron James can only do so much. I just think there is not enough there to even for them to make the play in. We talk about the hodgepodge of random crap that's going on in the Western Conference. That hodgepodge is still better than whatever the Lakers have as a roster. So Yeah, no, I mean, that's the crazy thing is LeBron, I think, is not at the level as he was in the bubble, certainly. Like, statistically, LeBron. he's pretty similar, similar, but just the eye test, like his physical dominance isn't there anymore. Efficiency that, is low. Efficiency, efficiency is also low. All that stuff. But, like, AD looks like kind of looks like bubble ad like he looks physical again uh 
And it looks like physical... some mid Pelicans AD, honestly, with just how well he's playing, how aggressive he's being. Yeah, I mean, he has the highest right now, the highest field goal percentage he's ever had, uh, just short of sixty percent. And he's finally active on the glass again, and that speaks to like the physical thing. Um, highest rebound numbers since he came to Los Angeles. So to your point, looks like the Pelicans, Anthony Davis, active on the offensive glass, ferocious finishing at the rim. Um, he's relying less and less on his jump shot, which is awesome because that's really horrendous. Mm-hmm. He's finally figured that out. I think at one point he was like one of the bottom three jump shooters in the NBA in terms of efficiency. Nice. So finally, he's like taking it to the paint and he's AD again, man. The crazy thing is, is like it doesn't matter because the Lakers are terrible to your point all around them. Uh, LeBron and AD, some of their bench players have looked a little bit better, but it's still really poorly constructed and at best, they're like the 10 seed in the West that's going to be fighting and probably not make the playoffs. So it's kind of sad to see those two players at really, really high level still after winning a championship three years ago and maybe probably not making the playoffs. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to run through the list of teams, this list of teams, and I want you to just tell me who uh, who just is the better, uh, who is better, them or the Lakers. Okay. We'll just start. We're just going to go through the Western Conference. Okay. The Los Angeles Clippers. Clippers. Okay. The Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz are better. Okay. Portland Trailblazers. Portland Trailblazers are better. I totally agree. You're you're not. Sacramento Kings. Kings. No doubt. No doubt. Like the Warriors. Beam. Warriors. Warriors. Here's where I got two. Here's where I'm curious about the Dallas Mavericks. Mavericks. Okay. Best player on the floor. That's fair. Right. Also, better supporting cast, even though it's not great still. Definitely still not great. You're comparing a C plus to a C minus. I mean, you're. It, you're the or, thing or is that. D... It, yeah, the thing is, is that their supporting cast actually works with their star, uh, even though it's not great. Like, it's catered to actually work around Luca. That's her. The Minnesota Timberwolves. Ooh, that's tough. That's, uh, is, that... is Cat playing? In the situation or, or, right now? No, I think Cat's still hurt. That's what I thought. Um, but with say Cat. With Cat, Minnesota. Without Cat. Uh, <laughs> the Lakers. Okay. <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> that, that's okay. The Oklahoma City Thunder. Is Shade Gill just Alexander the best player on the floor? Because I wasn't. Be. I mean, right now, I think he's. I think he might be in my mind. Uh, uh, I'll say the Thunder with yes. a lot of hesitation. I, I'm, I'm letting you know it's fifty-one forty-nine in favor of the Thunder right now in my head. So. I, I like Giddy more than any role player on the Los Angeles Lakers and Lou Dort. There's a lot of players I like a lot more than any player on the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I That's do a think good question. I th- I I just was trying to think. Um, San Antonio and Houston are definitely worse than the Lakers. Yeah, they're worse. Yeah, they're yeah. The, the, the them and the Pistons and the Hornets are the bottom teams in the NBA right now. The Pistons have just truly pissed me off. And how the heck they, how the heck, Kate Cunningham got had to get hurt. Whatever. Um, that's just yeah. the exercise you got to run through sometimes, though. Like, no, that was. I mean, yeah, the the talent level on all these teams, or like in who I would just trust to win a. Uh, 
a game, like even in the regular season. Playoffs is a little different because you got to have guys who have like been there before. The Thunder don't have that. They have Shea and Dort who played in that bubble series for the Thunder that one year against the Rockets. But outside of that, they haven't done much. Um, so yeah. I I I will say that come if it comes down to a playoff series, that'll be a little interesting. But I am still saying there are ten slash 11 teams that we said that are I didn't even go through the top tier teams in the Western Conference because I was right. like that's that's just not even worth our time the top there's 10 11 teams in the Western Conference that are already better than the Lakers and I just don't see how anyone can be uh I don't see how anyone can place them right now even in a play-in game so that's yeah they're true. worse than every team ahead of them right now I mean I maybe put the Lakers slightly above the Timberwolves but I mean honestly that's like a 51 49 again and then even the Thunder who are tied with them right now in the standings technically behind them uh i think they're also like pretty even so like they may only be better than the spurs and the rockets which is crazy (laughs) when you have maybe the best player of all time and a guy who's playing at at an mvp level and he's not the best player of all time on that team like yeah i don't i don't know if there's ever a comparison for what's going on right now but the other the other questions interesting to me is the whole reason that the Lakers are in this situation is because they believed AD was an eventual replacement to LeBron James and could be that number one guy, that franchise changing player from what you've seen this year. If you're the Lakers front office, like, are you feeling good about the bet you made? You're certainly feeling better than you were in the off season. But are you feeling good? You want a title. Right. You want a title. But your you future's want... still fucked unless you feel good oh, about it. In every way possible. You don't have like assets to trade out. And and I don't even call I mean Westbrook, I guess, has kind of been an asset even more recently. He's just been with how he's yeah, with how he's played off the bench. Um, I guess you you can definitely call him an asset. I think that. I'm not even going to call – you don't have anything outside of those three, though. Thomas Bryant, Austin Reeves. I mean, the, the, I mean, you gave up your best shooting in Malink Monk and sent him to Sacramento, in which he's just lighting it up, and he's been the one of their better scorers off that team. You've mm-hmm. given up – in the, you gave up so much of that NBA Finals championship team just to, to, just to try to make a better offense. When your team was just so good at defense, it makes no sense – it's a very confusing team. It's a very confusing franchise. And, you know, it's been weird because through the history of the Lakers, they've gone through, they've been able to still make great try, great trades and get draft picks up until the 2010s, up until that, like after Kobe, like kind of got hurt. Um, and that whenever they got Nash and Howard on their old age, I feel like it was around then that everything kind of turned for the worst for them in the most sad way possible. And so I don't, I won't say, well, it's still not like a quote unquote free agency destination because it's LA, but it's definitely not as enticing as it would be to go to golden state because golden state is still, it right. seems more enticing to go there right now. Um, I think, I think that the, the, the Lakers are in a tough situation. I totally agree. The only way you get out of this is going to be through free agency. And the only way you get out of this is going to be next next offseason you got to try to i think you play with what you've got this year try to see what you can mm-hmm. do see what players you want to keep 
maybe just try out some young guys. I don't know they're young guys on that team because I don't care to watch them at that much. But I think that there's some <laughs> young guys on that team that you can maybe try to work around. So we'll see. I yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think right now you're when you're looking at this investment for even the future, I think you're making the right decision putting Anthony Davis at the front of it. But yeah. I worry what how you're gonna surround him for the next few years because it, it reminds me of the first few if you it reminds me of the late 70s of Kareem. Because Kareem had no one before uh, Magic joined him. He had Wilkes. Um, but outside of that, that team was bad. He, I mean, he was fighting for the the uh, playoffs, trying to go up against the uh, Portland Trailblazers team that was solid or the Sonics who were really good during that time. And it was just him. And so I worry that that's what – I feel like that's what Anthony Davis is going to have to do during the 20s, the tw- 2020s is kind of what Kareem was doing. And I, and I hate to see it. Yeah. And it's just such a tough question because if you are that front office, if you're feeling good about your bet and you do want to, you know, keep your chips on your side of the table um, and stick with AD, then, you know, I, I think that's okay. I think that's understandable based on where you are right now. But if not, then you have the opportunity to trade him at his peak value. And if you're still concerned about repeated injuries and if you're just going to be in this situation where all of a sudden LeBron's going to be off your team and yeah. then AD is hurt and you still have no draft capital and you still have no role players, whereas you could possibly change that and trade for AD at his peak. We talked about this with Miles Turner with the game blouses guys, right, Mitch? Yeah. Like Miles Turner shooting his best three-point percentage by far for his for his career. Trade him at his peak. He's been in trade discussions forever. Sure, the Pacers are a good story. You're not going to do anything. Same thing with AD. AD continues to play at this level. Maybe he wins MVP, but probably not because of their record. They don't make the playoffs. You waste another year of LeBron James. What are you doing? Like, just get rid of him um, and trade him. You can get, you saw what Rudy Gobert got. Imagine what AD gets. Like, and then you have a future and you don't have to worry about the whole, oh my God, is Anthony Davis going to stay healthy? Can he ever be like this again? So that's kind of where I stand. I think if you stick with AD, you only have AD and it's just going to take time and you're banking on free agency to your point. I'm going to ask a really dumb question. Why aren't we trading LeBron instead of AD? Well, LeBron has a trade restriction until February 18th of next year. Um, He's going to be up though. His contract is up. uh, Wait, he has a a trade restriction? Yep. He has a trade restriction until February of next year. Thank you. That's why. But he's going to be up. But he's going to be up. Um, his in, end of his contract is 2023. He had but, an extension. He signed an extension to 25. Oh, okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. But still, um, that does give him the opportunity to be traded before the deadline. Right. And the, the reason you don't trade LeBron James is because then you're the team that traded LeBron James. <laughs> and uh, even just like, from a historical perspective, it's a tough look. Um, from a basketball standpoint, you're not wrong, Mitch. Um, I, I would agree with you, but also LeBron has been healthier. Uh, so, I mean, if he wants to be in LA, you, you still have LeBron James. So, I, I don't know. That's a tough call. I just think with AD, like, he might actually take, he might actually warrant more on the open market than LeBron would because of his age. 
That's fair. And but all again, that. you're also the team that traded for LeBron James, and maybe you're going to get a nice heavy return for him. But I do – I am more of the side, if you're the Lakers, you keep AD and trade LeBron. That's that's the side mm. I'm on. But I'm also stupid, So who? and I'm also not a GM. So And I also don't have <laughs> the millions of dollars to invest in these guys. So that's also just me. But um, I, I can we the st- story. We're sorry, Anthony Davis. You're, yeah, I was gonna say, can we shut this conversation down? I'm done talking about the Lakers. You're playing great. We hate watching your team. Uh, you might be the third worst team in the Western Conference at best, or at worst, maybe the fifth best at best, or fifth worst at best. Good lord. Um, Jeez, but, you've said worse than best so many times. <laughs> but you are the least fun team to watch in the NBA. In the in the NBA. Fuck it. I, I, I would rather watch the Hornets than you. No, 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 no. Um, you know how many times I've avoided watching Hornets games and I, I just I come home from work and I'm like, okay, there's two games on. No, either I worst. turn on either I turn on Bally Sports and try to find the Pacers game or I <laughs> or I turn on the Hornets. Oh, easy answer. Or yeah. I'm watching Detroit and I, I like watching Jaden Ivy over watching the Hornets. The Hornets are just so bad to watch too. Good it's lord. Really I, yeah. I no, I don't want to talk about bad <laughs> basketball right now. Um, what we are gonna seven and do, twenty, baby. <laughs> dear lord. Uh, what we are gonna do is take a quick break. Uh, this is up for the NBA talk. Aaron and I will be back with a little cereal in Bruce. We're back with a little cereal and bruise. Um, you know, most of the time on this part of the podcast, it just turns into Aaron and I talking about movies. And that's that will be no different in this part of for the first half of this, at least. Um, Aaron and I both went and saw a movie this week. It came out in theaters pretty recently. Um, and it's a movie called The Menu. Aaron, when you saw the trailer for this movie, what did it remind you of? It's a little Knives Outy. The, the trailer for it? Yeah, a little bit. It uh, also kind of looked like it could have been like a spinoff of The Most Dangerous Game, the short story we both love. Yes, I just have never seen that in film, so that's not where my mind went. But Fair. Um, yes, that that's a fair point. And I think I, the movie itself was not as similar, but there were parts of it that were similar. That's very true. And yeah, once you go and see it, you realize it's not that at all. But yeah. We both, because we just talked about it. What what did you get? Would you rate it? You would Madison rate it? I think we gave it a seven and a half. Yeah, I gave it a low, like a seven, two, seven, one. Um, and I will I, not to spoil anything. What I will say is that the top part of the cast, so Ray Fiennes and Anna Taylor Joy, fantastic in the movie. Mm-hmm. The other actors made me want to blow my heads off sometimes. <laughs> I mean, the three guys who sit in the corner. Oh and my god, so annoying! The finance guys made me want to throw bricks at their forehead. But the I think entire... that was part of it, though. Like they were actually like I thought the acting was good, but the characters were so hateable. That's and fair. Maybe there were some parts of it that were not as good, but I thought like the uh, the the date of Anya Taylor Joy. Like I wanted him to die so bad. Even oh, at the beginning, like before yeah. we knew he was knowledgeable about everybody's going to die. Like as soon as he started explaining all the shit to her in painstakingly detail, like he was the yeah. definition of a mansplainer and I wanted yeah. him to die immediately. So yeah. that was yeah, tough. That, that was because I like his, the actor in a lot of other things. Uh, he's in like the uh, more recent X-Men movies. He's uh, mm. he's Tolkien. 
uh in the token show and uh, the token movie as well and so i liked him in that uh i think it, this was probably my the character i hate him in the most in so that that hurt but i will say that just if you haven't seen this movie do yourself a favor go watch it it does feel lives out e it is kind of it's not as much of a whodunit because you're right. if you've seen the trailer you know people die um so it's not like who did it um but it's more of a like who's gonna make it who's gonna make it to the end kind of situation so um yeah that's, that's yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting too just like the whole the, the reason i thought about it more and more is the whole societal aspect of it like anytime you can get a get the viewer to sympathize a bit with the villain which in this case is the head chef yeah like understanding why he got to the point that he did yeah. um obviously you see the good come out in him a little bit with letting anya taylor joy's character go makes him the cheeseburger throwing back to like the hamburger howie days when he was a kid his first job uh but like when you can sympathize with the character and all these fucking hateable rich people who are having these like the one old guy who actually loved this actor and i don't think they utilized him enough it was the guy who was like super creepy and oh yeah the perv yeah, the yeah, perv who uh, the perv who yeah. had been with Anna, Anna Taylor Joy before. Yep, Reed Bernie. He's in um, he's in House of Cards. Love him in House of Cards. He's also in Titans, uh, DC show uh, on HBO Max. I, I hate his character in that. That he is a, a another guy. I wouldn't mind throwing a brick at his forehead in both those shows. <laughs> God, well, especially this movie. But and he gets his uh, yeah finger chopped off which is hilarious yeah this part um, we're spoiling it all and i'm not nah, mad fuck about it, it. Who cares? Yeah. if you're listening to it go watch it but um but i was gonna say like that guy had been there 11 him and his wife had been there 11 times and they didn't couldn't name a single dish that they've had like and then you have the annoying reviewer who's like criticizing everything and then they bring out like here's the thing that you were just shitting on here's more of it uh to to hate on them and then uh, the other guys, uh, the the three guys, like begging they're for tax more frauds, and, and yeah, they're begging for bread with the with the the sauce thing that's going on. Um, it was just you could hate pretty much. The only character I didn't really hate was the um, the actor. Oh, and, I hated him. Well, it, well, but like if you're the like, <laughs> I thought that was funny. Like he only hated him because of that movie, and I thought that yeah. was a funny story that he was in. But um. Like, I don't think he was, he was the least in the wrong out of all of the guests, like in terms of being a bad person. Like, I don't know maybe if his he, assistant. Maybe he was annoying, but like, I don't know. Like the other people were just much more hateable in my opinion. But in general, the, it was nice that you could eventually get to the point of sympathizing with the, with the, with the main chef. The two journalists made me want to, they, they made me want to pull oh my, my God, They're the worst. Those, they were the <laughs> downright worst. Um, <laughs> Yeah, who is the other? Oh yeah, because it's yeah John Leguizamo because he's the voice of uh, that's the actor the 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 yeah. big time actor. He's the voice of Sid in Ice Age. Ah, um, and I liked his I liked his assistant Felicity. Uh, I thought yeah, she, was she was good. good. That, yeah, um, but you're right. The old crotchety couple was terrible, and then you find out there's like the, the connection between Anna Taylor Joy and that guy. Yeah, very that weird. Was... That was very weird. strange yeah but um, i mean the it was interesting like the whole staff set up like how did he get all of these staff members to commit to this like that's weird 
to yeah. ultimate suicide. Like I get if he wanted to do it. I get if some select people wanted to do it uh, based on the backstories that they share. But like the entire crew, I thought that was a little weird. Um, but I guess it just like goes to show like the cult of the kitchen in that instance. Maybe that was it. But um, that was that was one point that I was thinking about. Yeah, I also liked you bring up sympathizing with Ray Fine's character, the chef. The other thing I think you find is that when you miss the joy of doing something like the joy of doing it and it becomes just mm-hmm. monotonous like he found it to be like it, it became no fun it became all about being perfect mm-hmm. i think that's when you got to get out of it like whatever you're doing if it if it's no longer fun and it's all about being perfect get out like get out of yeah. whatever it is that's it's no longer fun for you or try to find no try to go back to what what made it fun for you in the first place Try to find yeah. find a way to make it back fun and not try to be like at this profession level. So I think that's just my only that was one of my takeaways from it. It's just stop trying to be about being a perfectionist and try to do what made it fun for you in the first place. So right. And he, you know, that was his one of his last moments, uh, was was the joy he got in making that making that cheeseburger. So that was a good character arc for him. And I mean it was kind of crazy too, the the person who probably knew the least about food. Yeah. was the one who could actually read what was going on and like, like this food isn't enjoyable and completely explained why it was the case and was just a very realist standpoint um like you didn't need to go into all of these details about the backstory and all these unique you know parts of the dish like sometimes simple is better and enjoying it so um that was very interesting perspective as well yeah absolutely agree um well, we both went and saw that movie this week. Um, the other thing we did this week, well, what I did this week was uh, Mitchell Sell had his trip across the Midwest. Um, if anyone was following me on Instagram, if anyone doesn't, if anyone follows me on Instagram, you saw this. I spent 12 hours driving during a 12 hour, a 24 hour period, both Thursday and Friday, which was miserable. Um, the experiences I had were great, but just the driving part sucked. Um, yeah. Back and forth from Kansas uh, outside of Kansas city independence in independence, Missouri to see one of my favorite bands in the 1975. Then on Thursday, Friday drove up to see you in Chicago, which that was a blast. That was a nice little surprise. And then uh, see you in Madison and then finish the drive up to Wisconsin to go see a buddy of ours, Ben Clannon's wedding, which was a blast. The drama that came from it was just fantastic. And I, I didn't tell you much of what happened, Basically, there was a bridesmaid's mother who had like made out with a girl like at the uh, rehearsal dinner. Apparently, wait, dude, wait, 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 wait. yeah, no, no, you heard that right. We're we're gonna just let that keep going. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna continue pondering that. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna let that happen. Um, there it's, was that's that's when the v- the listener just like hits the minus fifteen <laughs> seconds button like a few oh, times. Yeah. Like, hold on, back up, back up. <laughs> yep. No, 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 no. You heard me right. Whoever's listening, you heard me right. Holy um, shit. And there was some bridesmaid drama and just in general with with a with a guy who was there as well. Oh, oh, I'll tell you I that feel, part I, off air. I feel like it's an episode of New Girl where like all of them are trying to sleep with their uh, wedding crashers or something like that. Where it's like, but you know, the guy, you know, the guy. Oh, OK. Off air, off air story. Off-air, then. Yeah, yeah. Off air story for you there. Um, And then wedding night. Well, wedding wedding night. Beautiful ceremony. Beautiful reception. Um food was great i was sitting at a table with 
it basically my table was all the college friends. So the people who weren't good enough to make it to the groomsmen or bridesmaids, but we were good enough to make it to the wedding, which I was okay with. I made it that I made okay. it to that table. Um, I was with Evan, Evan Hatmaker's fiance. And then um, <laughs> another guy named Jesse. And then the rest of them were Ole Miss people. And the Ole Miss people were all right. Um, I heard a guy talk about his, uh, God, his, what was it? His 401k and then also and how much he had already can, uh, built up in that. And also um, his financial, why am I blanking on it? Um, oh, and his financial consulting job that he has uh, with a company in Denver. And I was just like, oh God. I guess sounds was like, miserable. Oh, he was terrible. And this guy was like 27. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, move oh, head, off. remove head from sphincter. So that way I can enjoy <laughs> this evening. Um, also terrible dancer. Um, however, <laughs> Speaking of dancing, Aaron already knows this. Um, I, I, in life, when Mitchell has a few drinks, Mitchell dances a lot. Yes, he and does. it's it's and it's and boy, is it a blast for those who are watching. So much so that last night there was a moment where I'm not kidding you, I had a half asthma attack during Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> the, the song Footloose came on, and I, I for some reason remember the steps to the song Footloose like I'm a country boy with a cowboy hat on, and then. Oh my God. And then I, um, about two songs later, I regroup. I take a step outside, catch my breath, step back inside. And I'm not kidding you. <laughs> For anyone who's seen, who's heard the story of me dancing at weddings and split my pants. Oh, yeah. I was going to bring um, that up. Yeah. No, uh, Get Low comes back on for me. And I'm like, oh, I can't do anything <laughs> to this. And then once I start dancing, I, I feel something in my uh, thigh slash hamstring like tweak. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and my buddy, a uh, buddy of mine uh, named Adam looks at me. He's like, what'd you do? I was like, I think I just pulled a hammy dancing at a wedding. I'm like, I am 24 oh years God. old and I am out of shape, bro. <laughs> was, he's like, you should have. He looked at me. Man, you just should have stretched. stretched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, going to say the same thing. You got to stretch. You know, that's, you know, that's your personality. You know, you're going to be the one to uncontrollably dance whenever a certain song has come on, comes on. You need to, you need to prepare your body, man. This, this was a good experience for you. Cause you got a couple weddings coming up next year. Dude, the uh, summer of 2023 is going to be get so it right. many weddings. Yeah. <laughs> get it right. Get the stretching down. Yeah. You know it, but that's hilarious. And then, the reception went till about 1030. I walked with a few of the guys back to the hotel. I got all packed up because the next morning I had to be on the road by five in the morning, by 5 a.m. to get back to St. Louis for a cell Christmas party by 10 a.m. So Lord. it was Were you hung over driving. That's like the one of the worst feelings ever. Worse. I was I couldn't get my leg straight the entire ride home because oh, of my God. leg. Because was of my it your right was it your right leg? It was my right leg. Oh, so, brutal. so here's here's me. I, I for the people who are listening, sorry, I am knees deep into the into the <laughs> wheel. I am the closest I ever have been to a driver's wheel in my life because of how like I, I only could like bend my knee to like start the gas. And that was like the the good way I could like drive home. And then I would on, I would bend my knee at a 90 degree angle whenever I'd have it on cruise control. And so right. like I, I definitely was driving dangerously, but oh my um, god. It was oh my gosh. But it was it was a blast. And then tomorrow I drive to Columbia for uh, Susanna's niece's dance recital. So it's it's Good just Lord. continued. It's on a just, Monday? On a Monday. Uh the things I do for <laughs> the things that I do for the people I love. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. But uh 
I mean, did you, at least besides the knee, did you enjoy the aspect of the early morning drive? Because I drove to Iowa City, I think I left at like 5 a.m. Uh, a couple weeks ago for the, the Iowa game, and I actually found that enjoyable. Like, I didn't have any bodily issues going on, so maybe that was, you know, impacted that. But like, I it was so peaceful because the roads were dead. You're able to cruise, really focus and listen to your podcast, wherever you're doing, like, I don't yeah. know. I kind of like the early morning drive and getting up like that, even though you're probably tired. I'm also the type of guy who doesn't mind driving through the night. Like if right. I'm, I don't mind like taking a midday nap and just drive through the night, like leave at 10 PM. So that way I can get a full day of wherever the hell I'm going. So mm-hmm. like, I don't mind that idea of it either. So yes, I enjoyed the fact that like I had the road to myself. I had the entire road of, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, all the way to like Juliet uh, slash uh, Naperville, Illinois, before the sun rose. So it was great. Mm. Like I, I left there around probably like four forty-five this morning. I was up and at him by four fifteen. Out of out of, I checked out of my room by four thirty, and I was out of the hotel parking lot by four forty-five. Um, so that was nice. Animal. Love that. But I was running on four hours of sleep. Like I didn't. I wasn't. Yeah. I, I had to make a few phone calls before I went to bed last night because one of the groomsmen called me and he said he was throwing up. And so I had to go like help him make sure he was also drunk as hell. Oh, it was a, it was a wild evening, but no, it was a blast. It was still a great time. And, you know, I look forward to, I mean, I guess I have three weddings I'm going to next summer. I, I, it will be a, it'll be a wild summer, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. How was the outdoor experience? Because it was so an was outdoor wrong. wedding in December. I was wrong. It was, it was indoor, but the venue okay. of it, it. So from what I saw the photos, I apologize. There was this outdoor balcony area that people could go, go walk onto after and like hang out. But it was not that deep and did not have enough seating for everyone. So there was okay. still an outdoor balcony area. The inside was very cool. Um but like the outdoors was super nice to just go out because it was so effing hot inside. Oh, yeah. I was and, gonna say, yeah, you you probably spend a lot of time out there. Oh, whenever I needed a break, it was that and grabbing a uh, a whiskey sour to go outside and chug that real quick before my before my next dance recital uh, on the floor. <laughs> God, uh, but That's it was hilarious. but it was a good time. But I I am looking forward to a week of. Oh, wait, no, I never have a weekend of rest because it's fucking holiday season and it's just going to be brutal. Next weekend, it's uh, the bar crawl for charity that I'm going uh, here in, in Missouri, 12 bars for those who are around here. Um, so that's next Saturday. And then there is no weekend of like rest for me for the, until January um, with Christmas and then New Year's. Yep. So I'm right there with you. It feels like um, every weekend, Madison and I are talking about like, man, I can't look. I can't wait for the weekend to sleep in and rest, but we have a dog. So like that doesn't really happen Um, and everything else with the holidays, as you said. So like it is looking forward to the weekend of rest is such a folly. Like maybe if if you have no plans or whatever, Mm -hmm. like you actually are able to get that done. But man, it is it is like that no longer. I miss the days of college where we were able to just hang out all day and sleep in and all that stuff. It it is a. It's a sad day when you're an adult, and I, 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 I do miss the days where I could just play continuous NCA fourteen without <laughs> without uh, repercussion. So, um, it is what it is. But, you got anything else for us? 
I don't think so, man. I, All right. You know, that was an exciting story. Glad to hear you enjoyed the wedding. And is your hammy still hurting? It's not as bad today. Uh, I, I okay. joked about getting an ice bath last night with the, the the groomsmen as I was walking back. I'm like, I might just go fill up my bucket of ice about 12 times and then come back. Oh, my God. An ice bath. <laughs> um, then I realized that I didn't have a bath. It was just a stand-up shower. Uh, so that was just a nice little kick to the crotch. Love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, what, what, what has been, what hasn't been a kick to the garage was you guys listening to this podcast. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate you guys, uh, follow us on, uh, Twitter at Hooper's Almanac. Um, and yeah, go Celtics, go Nuggets, um, go Pelicans as well. And I, and again, once and for all the apologies to Anthony Davis. Um, and yeah, have a great rest of your week guys. Um, and yeah, see you guys.